thank you for letting me do that. Sometimes we just need to make room. And we want to be that church, we want to be that people of God that say, Lord, it's not so important what we've planned and what we're doing as it is what you're trying to say to us. And in the midst of God saying something to me, I heard a man once say that uh, God's not interested in writing sermons. He's interested in doing something in your life and you writing that down and sharing it. And so as much as I was aware that I was praying for my friend Kevin in another state, then I'm also aware as we sing, God, we will make room for you, that the Lord's saying, whoa, 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 then make room for me this morning. And that's what we did. You know, in the first service, somebody came forward and actually surrendered their life to Jesus in the midst of us making room for God. And, and listen, we are here for that, but we're also here for the building up of the church. And that's what we want to do. So whether you're here online or whether you're here in person, the fact of the matter is, as we reach out in our community to try to introduce people to Jesus, Jesus still wants to do something in your personal life. And that's what we've gathered together for. And that's why we want to continue to press in. So I want to encourage you. You heard that the women are having a great big event. Yay for women. Hey, what about us guys? Woohoo. All right. Well, let me put this on your calendar. Okay. On April 10th, we're going to have a pancake breakfast at the church for the men to gather together and have a pancake breakfast. Oh, wait a minute. We're not just going to have a pancake breakfast because on May 15th, we're going to go out to the Kirstein fa uh, farm and we're going to kill the beast and we're going to shoot skeet and we're going to kill things, not like living things. Um, and we're going to throw axes and we're going to do man things. And then we're going to have a time and we're going to barbecue stuff and it's going to be great. Wait a second. We're not done yet, okay? Because we got to be overachievers because the women are having an event, okay? And so on August 6th through the 8th, we're going to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and we're going to eat big steaks, and we're going to have man time, and um, we are going to have a speaker, and we are going to do things down there because we are coming back. We're done. We're going to be careful, but we're coming back, and it's time. And so mark your calendar. I know it's right before school gets out, but as we were interacting with the Wafloy Christian Organization, down there that has this big hotel that we get. So everybody has their own bathroom and their own bed and all like that. They said, hey, if you pick this weekend, all of the high schoolers are gone. There's no kids camps going on. So we'll have Gatlinburg to ourselves because everybody's getting ready for school in a week and a half after that. And so that's why we're doing it. Also, all the amenities are open because it's warm. And so we can still go do, go do all the things things in and around Gatlinburg, and we're looking for that. We're looking forward to that. Men, mark that down. We're going to have a good time. We're going to grow in Jesus, and we're going to continue to move the kingdom of God forward. Today, I want to begin. We wrapped up our pain series last week, and today I want to begin a series. Um, when the staff asked me, they said, Pastor Joe, what's the series we're going to do for March? Because we're, we know we're launching one for Easter. And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I'm going to preach, and I'm, it's not going to be a series. And so the staff has decided that it's called, This Is Not a Series. Okay? So for the next four weeks, this is not a series, and this is what we're preaching about. Okay? We're, we're going to be preaching about the week ahead of the crucifixion, all four Sundays, and then on Good Friday. Mark your calendar for that one. We're going to have a wonderful, exciting, but a very um, aware and solemn Good Friday service as we anticipate what Jesus did for us. But let's, let's look at it. I want 
want to start in um, Matthew 21. That's my goal. I want to start in Matthew 21. So if you've got one of these things that I've got right here, go ahead and flip it open to Matthew 21. All right. And I'm going to start down at verse 10. um, And then I'll do a little bit of a backup. Just know that every single time it'll show up here, you're always welcome to use your um, 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 digital device um, because you can find you version and stuff there and follow along. But I want to give you the opportunity. And besides, I just got my Bible recovered and I got it back. So I'm going to use it. Um, And that's how it's going to be. So beginning in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 21, we are starting the week ahead of, so maybe on, on Sunday, right ahead of the crucifixion, this is where we're beginning. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these little children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. And so this is our picture. This is our, this is our opening um, scenario. Um, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Now, just ahead of this, maybe you're familiar with, was the time when they were cutting down palm branches and throwing their cloaks on the ground because Jesus was riding on a colt, a donkey, actually the colt of a donkey, and he was riding into town and everybody was throwing their palm branches down, hence Palm Sunday, throwing the palm branches down and saying, Hosanna, 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 okay? And that means save us, save us, save us, or Savior, Savior, Savior. And so that's what they're doing. Now, I don't know about you, but when I say palm branches, don't think about those little things that you get from Walmart, okay? Don't think about that. Okay, have you ever been on a, on a vacation where there was palm trees? Okay, great big jaunt palm trees, big old palm branches like that, you know, and you're like, yeah, but there was a beach too. Okay, let's be spiritual. Okay, that's what we're here for today. We're not talking about the beach. We all want to go. We're talking about palm branches that are at the beach. Okay, and so they took these great big giant palm branches, cut them off the trees, and then they threw them down. And then people that didn't have palm branches took off their coats and they threw those down. And the donkey came across those because they were giving Jesus They recognized um, the significance, not maybe of who he was and what he was about to do, but he was a great prophet. And so they were giving him the red carpet treatment. They were laying it out because this was somebody special. And so as he comes into town, according to the scripture we read this morning, the thing that he does is he goes to the temple. And in the temple courtyard, there are people selling things like t-shirts and CDs and no, not really. I'm just, they didn't have CDs back then. Stay with me. Okay. And they didn't have t-shirts. I heart Jesus. They did not have that. Okay. But they were selling stuff, right? They were selling stuff in and around the, the, the courtyard. So imagine that you show up at church and in the mall and in, in, in the causeway or in the commons area out there, you know, there's just stuff for sale, stuff for sale, stuff for sale. That's the picture of what was going on. But it was church stuff, stuff you needed to be allowed to come in here. You had to do out there and pay in order to get in here. We'll kind of get into that just a little bit. But this is the picture of what's going on. And Matthew 21 is the beginning of Passion Week. 
Now, Passion Week is not the week all about the crucifixion. Passion Week is the week all about the passion of Jesus. There's a lot more passion in Passion Week than the crucifixion. It certainly includes the crucifixion. But I want to show you today that Jesus was very, very passionate, and he did not wait until Friday night or Wednesday, if you want to count it correctly, to be crucified, and that that was when he finally got passionate. He was passionate right here. Let me just share with you that there are 89 chapters in the four Gospels to describe the life of Jesus Christ on this planet. And just for the record, just so that you know, the book of Matthew is written by a man named Matthew who was a tax collector who walked with Jesus. Therefore, legally, believe it or not, this is a historical record that can be appropriately used for research as a first-person account a legal first-person account. This is not Luke writing Luke to Theophilus because he studied it. This is Matthew writing to you and I because he lived it. And he's saying, this is what we did, by the way. And so here's the picture. And as it begins to unfold, there's, there's 89 chapters when I did the math. Did you know that 29 of those chapters are dedicated to seven days of Jesus' life? In 89 chapters to describe three and a half years, 29 of them describe seven days. Do you think God's trying to tell us that that's important? One third of the recorded evidence of Jesus's life has to do with seven days of his life. Seven days. And it's not just, and he died, and this is how bad it was, and this is what the whips did. It was seven days of teaching. It was like he was studying for an exam at the, you know, and, and, and he's going to be tested at the end, or the disciples are going to be tested because he just starts, and then there was a man, and then there was this, and I'm going to tell you a parable, and then there's, and he just starts teaching and teaching and teaching like there's going to be an exam before he gets crucified, and they better pass it. Seven days are here. And it's, it's called the Passion Week. It refers to the beginning as much as it refers to the ending, but it's kicked off by the triumphal entry, and here we are. Often when somebody says the Passion, we think of Mel Gibson, don't we? We think of the movie, because it's got a great depiction of probably what it looked like. Isaiah, in Isaiah 52 and 53, the suffering servant passage, says that Jesus was beaten beyond, I mean, he, they beat him so much that he did not even look like a man anymore. He was beaten beyond or marred beyond the the image of a man. So we see that that's the picture, and it was bloody, and it was gross, and it was so bad that he didn't even finish carrying his cross. Somebody had to step in and carry it for him. That's how bad it was. And so when we say passion, we think, oh, that beaten, that crucifixion. No, no, no. It starts when he came in. He was so passionate, he went straight to the temple where they were selling things. And that's where we begin with. Jesus was passionate not just to pay the price for our sins. He was passionate for the kingdom of God. He was passionate for it. So let me start by saying this. Jesus is passionate for you. That's what the scripture tells us. We think Jesus is this laid-back guy, right? 
I mean, how many times do I get, I get emails? People say, Pastor, you shouldn't have an op- a political opinion. Pastor, you shouldn't have a medical opinion. Pastor, you shouldn't have a side here. Pastor, you shouldn't. And I keep the, 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 uh, um, the church's Facebook pretty free. But if you think pastors don't have an opinion, it's like, whoa, hold on. Well, pastor, you should just take it. Well, hold on. Well, if somebody comes up and punches you in the nose, then turn the other cheek. Yes. And it will be difficult, but yes. Okay. But what should it look like? We've got this idea that Jesus just walked around going, love thou enemy. Do not look upon a woman to lusteth after her lest you commit sin. We think that he talked that way. And some of you think that he does it in an Australian accent. I've heard your phones. You know, you're listening to your you version. It's like, well, mate, come on over. We're going to throw some shrimp on the barbie for the Pharisees. And it's like, what? It's like, Jesus didn't talk like that. It's like, no, I know, but I like it. It's like, well, you could at least use somebody from London or something, you know, because like King James. But we've got this idea that Jesus is this doormat, that he's just like got this monosyllable, whatever, voice, that he just talked a monotone. He's just got this one tone, and that's all there is to it. When the fact of the matter is, he came into little children saying, Hosanna. He came into people throwing palm branches down. He goes straight to church, walks in the door, and he sees what's going on, walks up and flips the money tables and says, this is going to stop right now. So when you think about the money changers tables and what was really going on, what do you think about You see, because Jesus was expressing at that point that he's passionate for you. And I'll tell you why. Those money changers were there to take care, I mean, to fleece, if you will, the poor people. Imagine if you're coming to one of the the three bloody feasts, meaning you've got to bring a a sacrifice that that is going to involve blood. You've got to bring a sheep. It's going to get killed. This is how it's going to happen. Okay? Imagine if you show up with your little sheep. And remember, you're coming to the Passover. So you're bringing your little sheep, and then you go and bring the little sheep into your house. And the little sheep has to stay in your house for four days. And at the end of four days, you've got to take your little sheep to the temple, and you've got to have its throat cut. It, it gets bled out. The sheep gets cru- uh, I mean, uh, consumed on the, on the sacrifice. And then they you know, splash the blood around, and the innards go out um, outside the city and all like that. Okay, so imagine you've just traveled 50 miles with your little sheep. And you're just bringing your little sheep. We're going to Jerusalem because it's time for the the sacrifice. You're bringing your little sheep, just a little lamb, okay? You know, maybe maybe 100 pounds. And so then you take it into wherever you're going to stay, the Holiday Inn. So you take it into your room. You try to sneak it in because you're not allowed to have sheep in your room, okay? So you take your little sheep in your room. And so you've got your sheep in there. And then it's time for the Passover and you do the Passover and the little sheep gets sacrificed, okay? It does. But you want to take and make a sacrifice at the temple and you go down to the temple and there's the priest or there's one of his guys, the assistant pastors, and they're like, (laughs) that's a very nice sheep, but it's not clean enough. That's a very nice sheep, but it's not good enough. That's a very nice sheep you have there, but it has a blemish. 
So let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell you this sheep right here for $29.99, okay? You trade your sheep in, $29.99, we give you this sheep. It's from the temple. We know it's perfect. You can use this sheep right here. How about this? How about you come into the church, and it's time to take up tithes and offerings. God told us to do it. It's in the scripture. I'll share it with you. That's fine. You deal with it. But here's the deal. You come in, and we say, we're only going to take up cash from here on out. No checks, no, you know, phone things. We're not going to do any of that, okay? We only take cash. And then you come in and you, you, you put down your, you know, $50 bill, $100,000 bill, whatever it is. You put it down and you say, here, I want to give this to the Lord. And we look at it and we say, <laughs> you know, that says it belongs in its property of the government of the United States of America. Why are you giving me Caesar's money? For $19.95, we will sell you real money from the church itself. So you let us buy your money and you get shorted, but we give you vineyard money. And then you come into this room and then you can put vineyard money into the offering. You see what's going on? They're fleecing the people. And who always gets fleeced by the government, big or large? And I'm not here to start a political fight, okay? But who always gets fleeced more than anybody else? It's poor people. Poorer people. They get taxed and taxed and taxed and taxed. And so you have this picture of Jesus coming in going, no, not happening. Grabbing the tables of Matthew, if you will, and flipping them babies over and saying, not in my house and not today and not to my people. Because God is passionate for you. He's passionate that you're being chewed up and spit out by a religious system rather than being invited into a relationship with God who loves you. And you're there at the temple to express your love to God and to learn something. And instead, the leaders are taking their advantage of you. Can you imagine going to church market? Wow. When Jesus flipped the tables and he said, hey, um, not, not here, he was, he was declaring a spiritual battle, a warfare on the perversion of the free gift of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. In the book of Isaiah, it says, I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's what Jesus was quoting. But I love what it says. It doesn't say, I'm doing this for the kingdom. It doesn't say, I'm doing it for the temple. It, doesn't say, it says, I'm doing it for the people. I will give them not I will make them do what I say, I will give them. Jesus flipped the tables because people were being taken advantage of. And he said, we're not doing that in this house. This house is here so we can give to these people joy, the scripture says. And it's going to be a house of prayer, not a place where people hate to go because they're getting fleeced one more time. But that reminds us of God's promise to Abraham, doesn't it? In the book of Genesis chapter 12, the scripture says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. My father's house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Abram, all the people 
people on earth will be blessed through you. The point of what God was doing was not that you and I are not welcome as children of God. It's more that the Jewish nation was supposed to be priests to the world and inviting us in because from day one with Abram, we were being called to be blessed because of Abraham. Abram becomes Abraham later. And so we recognize that Jesus' passion was for you and I. And that was the point in the temple when he flipped the tables. That they were taking advantage of people instead of blessing people. And Jesus says, we're not having it. Jesus' passion was for people. So initially, Jesus, his passion is for you as an individual. Now his passion is for people, not institutions. We forget that the church is not about Sunday. It's about who shows up on Sunday. The church is the people, whether it's in person or online. The church is the people. It's not the building. It's not the structure or the hierarchy. It's the uh, um, ecclesia. It's the gathering together. The building house is simply the meeting. This is just simply, it's not the vineyard church. It's the meeting house of the vineyard church. You're the vineyard church. This is just the mall. It'll always be the mall, okay? People will always point at it and say, yeah, there's a church in the mall. But it's the mall. You know, there's some people that are like, it's not even a real church. It's in the mall. Don't even have a steeple. Are you kidding me? But it's got people. (laughs) And that is the church, not the building, the people. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. His passion is for people. The church is not how many screens I can get up and get my face on. That is not the church. That's business. The church is about training an army of servants to go and share the gospel. That's the church. So our goal is not to have the biggest, and it's never been, to have the biggest church in Madison County. It's to have the greatest impact that we possibly can. That's why you heard Pastor Jeff say that we invited all the law enforcement officers that we could in this past Wednesday, and we fed them great barbecue. I mean, we didn't go to, sorry, White Castle. I know some of you really love that place, um, but we didn't go to White Castle. We, we went someplace and said, we need you to know how much we appreciate the job that you're doing, because I'm telling you, if you think it's been rough for us at home, Imagine being in the hospitals on the front line. Imagine being in a cruiser on the front line. Imagine being a teacher on the front line. Man, they are taking it on the chin every single day. And somebody's got to stop the nonsense and say, look, we love you and we know it's hard. And we want to bless you. Because the church is people for people. And so that's what we got to do. We got to interact with them. Some of them we already knew. Some of them are new friends, and we are so thankful. Just please know that we are also going to do it for a school. We are also going to do it for our local hospital. And we are continuing to move uh, forward in this because it's not about the institution of the church. It's about the reality that that the church is people. Jesus' passion was for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of men. Holiness is about becoming more and more and more separated Um, from the world for the Lord. Holiness is about changing from glory to glory. Holiness means you are set aside for something special, usually in a religious context. 
But it's about changing from glory to glory. If we are not moving forward and changing, then we will fall back into old habits. Is that what you want? You know, I, I mean, I, I know it as a human being. It's so easy for us to surrender to Jesus, to get baptized, to join the church, to work for a couple of years, to help it grow, and suddenly get to that place where it's just like, man, I don't even know God knows I'm down here anymore. I don't even know if God's moving in my life anymore. I can't tell you when the last time I heard from God was. I just, I just want a refreshing, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Where is God? The fact of the matter is, God is not interested in the kingdom of men. He is interested in the kingdom of God. And so it's about you and I changing. And we've got to stop and ask ourselves, are we continuing the process of allowing God to change us? Listen, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to tell you right now that drinking is not a sin, according to the scripture and you're welcome to come sit in my office okay please you you can bring your bible don't bring your comments from your grandma okay don't i no bring your bible because that's what i want to talk about is what does the bible say about what the bible says but i can tell you this just because you can doesn't mean you should and for some of you that's your go-to when things get scary and let's just admit, for the last 12 months, it's been scary. And it's begun to affect some of you. And so maybe in the midst of God calling us to become more holy, God is saying, I need you to let go of some old habits. I'm not saying you're sinning. But Paul said, let's get rid of the weight that so easily entangles us, and the, no, excuse me, the weight that hinders us, and the sin that so easily entangles us. So there is a weight and a sin that holds us back from receiving the blessing of God. And somewhere in there, even if the goal is just to make it less, if that's your only goal, great. Listen, I'm not here to throw rocks at you. Not at all. I'm just saying take a look at your life because it's not going to be the same for every one of us. And there are things in your life that God is saying, I want you to grow past because it's about the kingdom of God in you not the kingdom of men around you. Second Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, or the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The kingdom of God is about continual life change, glory to glory. The kingdom of men is about power, control, and fortunes, all things that are going to stay here when the trumpet blows. They're not going anywhere. But we'll give an account for, did we invest in the lives of people? Did we invest in the local church? Did God get his share, not just of your money, but your talents, your gifts, your willingness to be stretched and inconvenienced to invite people to church into a relationship with God? Will you do that? The last thing that I want to share with you is Jesus' passion was to take the wrath meant for our sin. Certainly, that's passion. I want you to, to not be fooled. Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I could surrender to God. My friend, Will Wood, who also goes to church here, who's not any relationship to me whatsoever, but could be one of my children, you know, a brother from another mother or, you know, something like that, how people say things like that. But Will's a great guy. He keeps asking to be invited to Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff, but it's like, no, you got to go home to your other family, you know, the biological one you had. No, no, really. Will is a great guy, and he does a lot around here. But I love what he said to me this week. He's been working on preaching class and, or preaching and, and stuff like that. And so we sat in. And this is what he said to me. God owes me 
nothing. Let that sink in for a second. God owes me nothing. He gave me everything in order to save me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead should, should cause us to erupt in applause every time it's said because it's the cornerstone, it's the foundation of the Christian faith, the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then we're the worst of all men. Live good, narrow, keep yourself narrow, don't experience things, but you're going to die and then that's all there is. But because there's a resurrection, we know that life goes on because our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who passed away from this earth and yet are still alive, the scripture will tell us. Jesus was willing to take your sin so you didn't have to. Remember this, Paul told the church in Rome, but God demonstrates his own love for us in, in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we were ever born, his, sin, uh, his sacrifice was big enough to cover our sin. 2,000 years ago, Jesus on the cross paid for the sins that I may commit tomorrow. It's enough. His sacrifice was enough. It was that powerful. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? What must it mean for someone who does not deserve it to receive all the punishment for you and me? What must that be? You ever been accused wrongly and then got punished for it and still knew it wasn't your fault? The passion shows us what it could have looked like if you think about Mel Gibson and the movie. It's, it's a good picture of it. But we've got to have this whole picture of what the passion is. We have this idea sometimes as American Christians that we blessed God real good today. We showed up and went to church. When the fact of the matter is we didn't bless God at all. God blessed us. Because he doesn't owe us anything. We don't show up because God owes us. We show up because he is God Almighty. Ruler of the heavens and the earth. Able to quench our lives like that. But welcoming us to come boldly before the throne of grace in time of need. And all he asked was that we accept his great commission as we surrender through the blood of Jesus to our salvation. Because of what God did, we don't have to go to hell. We don't face that option. But we're enlisted into a new one that he's passionate about. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We know what the Great Commission is, don't we? What about the Great Exchange? He who knew no sin became sin. What? Not took our sins became sin so God could pour his wrath out on him so that we did not have to bear it and we who have no righteousness became the righteousness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ the passion 
of God to see you back home as a part of the family is, is it's huge. It's prodigal. It's wanton. It's lavish. It's God. This morning, or this, yeah, I guess it's still morning. This morning, God wants to talk to you. He wants to do something in your life. You may not have come forward earlier, but he wants to touch you. You came in looking for hope, and he said, I want to give you that hope. So I'm going to pray, and as we go into this last song, I want to invite the, worship, uh, the prayer team to come on up here. And you can come up here during the song while we're singing and say, you know what, I want, I want God to touch my life. Maybe you're carrying something that's too much, like my friend Kevin. God, I just pray that you would be with Kevin and Becky today. I just ask and pray that you bring restoration, that you bring wholeness, that you restore their physical beings in the name of Jesus. So be it. We release that upon them. But we're here and now with you. And I believe that God wants to do something in your life. So we're going to pray. And as we pray, we're going to wrap this up. But I want to invite you to your feet to pray if you're able. And, um, and we're going to pray. And then we're going to go into this song. And these people are here to um, pray for you. Okay? Fathers, we come before you. We thank you and we praise you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you that your passion is for us. And sometimes, God, we don't feel it. Sometimes we wonder if you even know that we're here. Sometimes, God, we're crying for an outpouring of your person. And God, as we, as we cry for this outpouring of your person, we're just hungry for this relationship where we could reach out and touch you. And that day's coming. But right now, we just need your spirit to breathe upon us. We need, because we're humans, God, just a refreshing. God, I love yesterday's roses, but I want to hold your hand today. Just like with my wife, God, my relationship is built on a continuing communication and love and dance. And I want to dance with you, Lord. And so do these people. And so we love you today, Lord, and we lift this up. We love that you want to touch those people in their homes, in their living rooms, wherever they are. Right there, we pray that you overwhelm them, Holy Spirit. That you might free us up to be what you need us to be, to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' holy name, amen.